This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome to another edition of Weekends with Walshy on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. I'm Peter Gowers. My co-host is Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? I'm well. How are you? I'm all the better for seeing you, my friend. But before we... uh, introduce our guest to this edition of Weekends with Walshy. <laughs> I just wanted to say, having spent better part of six months in lockdown in Victoria last year and having had the former Prime Minister of the country, Malcolm Turnbull, on the podcast last year, who spoke in glowing terms about uh, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, i got to ask the question, I can't use the words for obvious reasons, but WTF is this woman thinking? Because these characters won't be out of lockdown for months and months and months if they don't actually fix this up. And now we've got a situation where Canberra is going into lockdown. They're first because these idiots from Sydney are travelling God knows where and not quarantining. I, I don't know what to say, mate, other than just get the vaccine. okay well yeah it's maddening because look i'm I'm no fan of the victorian premier as you well know but the one thing that they managed to do in a really dire situation last year was finally contain it by actually locking down properly and no one likes these lockdowns we all get that but if you have Sydney, for example, the largest city in Australia, where some local government areas you are still free to do what you want and others are locked down, it does not work. You've got to shut the whole place down to get this thing fixed. And and I just I, I feel terrible for Canberra because, you know, classic example, a wedding that I was due to attend at the end of this month, it's now it's cancelled because they can't leave Canberra to come back to Darwin to get married. I don't think I've ever heard those words ever spoken on any media in my life. Which I feel terrible for Canberra. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean the residence, not the jungle that is Parliament House. (laughs) Anyway, enough of that. Let's get our guest on for this evening. Chris Walsh himself from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Walshy, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, guys. Good to see you both again. I I got a solution for you. I think the NT Mm -hmm. News got to the bottom of that. Uh, this week with an exclusive with Michael Gunner, where Michael Gunner told Gladys, this is how you do it, Gladys. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's given his advice, has he? Yeah, honest to God. Yeah, I was like, wait a second. He didn't say that in Parliament. So oh, he's wow. called up the NT News to get a, get an exclusive story. that. Wow. And he's giving instructions to Gladys Berejiklian on how to manage a lockdown. Yeah, that, that, oh that he had done for five minutes once. Yeah, because they had one guy that they couldn't <laughs> yeah. find or <laughs> where he went. All these like, thongs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he couldn't blame it on the horses. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolute I, I, chaos. Yeah, it was crazy. It, it's, yeah, anyway, Gunner thinks he knows everything. He can solve all the countries well as now mm. with COVID. Unbelievable mm. stuff. Yeah. Goes well, to the now, hey, Chris, before we get into the stories, there is one thing that has been bothering me a little bit um, lately, and I haven't noticed it uh, noticed much 
having been written about it. But I do know that Labour has gone on the attack, uh, Udalia Finocchiaro, about some statements that she may have made in relation to sending uh, vaccines down to Sydney to help them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, right. We, did she make those statements? Yeah, yeah. No, right. she did. It's actually in one of our Parliament story. You know, sometimes we have to wrap in a bunch of things into one story just because, you know, it does. it's not enough for a full story. But anyway, yeah, that's in one of the stories we'll get around to talking about. But yeah, they really started hammering her over these comments. Now, what she had said was, and I was listening to her press conference today that she gave where she was asked about it again. And she said, look, I've, I've said this before. I've been very clear about this. If we have any extra vaccines that aren't being used here, that they should go down to to Sydney and to help out with the, the issue there. And, you know, at first she wasn't even saying that much, though. Like, I thought, like, you know, why isn't she at least making the argument here that this is actually would be good for the territory and for the tourism? This is good for everybody if 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 this situation in Sydney gets fixed and we're, we're relying on them to come up here spend their tourism dollars like yeah, let's get it fixed let's get it down there anyway she didn't really even go that far i don't know who's advising them these days honestly like they're they, they did some bad stuff in parliament like just not not effective stuff in parliament this week at other times leah herself is very good and was good this week in parliament but the strategy seems to be missing with them and i don't much get it and that that seems to be a fine uh, line i guess and and Leah could have just sold that, I think, a bit more to people about that. I don't think there was as big an outrage as Michael Gunner thinks there is about that. There seemed to be a lot of comments saying, uh, we are all Australian after all here. Maybe we do have to chip in and help out a bit here. Who said that? Who said that? Uh, oh, just random, you know, random people commenting. I said there's commentary around it. That is what I wanted to say. Yeah. You know, I, what I couldn't believe was that Labour seemed to be taking this issue and politicising the hell out of it mm. by saying, you know, Leah is trying to make the territory unsafe <laughs> by giving away our vaccines. Yeah. It's just the epitome of stupidity and selfishness in my view, right? Yeah. We are Australian, you know, so why if we have spare vaccines, why would we not give it away? I read an article I think today online or maybe it was yesterday that Pfizer, that we have spare Pfizer vaccines that are being yeah. thrown away. Got away. Exactly. Yeah, and that was that was crazy, right? Okay, so I've never seen that before. So the so the NT News clearly got it. Their political reporter from Gunner's office that this is what they were going to do this week in Parliament and attack Leah over. And so the story kind of comes out before they even start hammering her over this, and you you start thinking like, okay, so this is a plant. This is a story that was dropped to the reporter, and this is their strategy for the week. And it, and it has happened. That you know, it's now Thursday night. The Parliament's over. We've seen that that all week they've just been attacking Leah on these comments. And then something happened. Then they run a story the next day saying that, you know, this this medical professional is, is warning people that they might have to throw vaccines because people aren't showing up to their scheduled appointments. And and then everybody's like, well, wait a second. Why well, you guys are attacking me? The NT News goes in and rewrites the story. And they oh, changed really? the headline of the story. And then they left like the original part of the story online. And then they tried to top it by saying, oh, look, uh, the health professional isn't saying that the, they're going to be thrown out. They can still use them here. It's just people aren't showing up. <laughs> it was uh, I, crazy. It was such a bad mix of, um, yeah. of yeah, bad journalism and bad politics, I guess, really. And yeah. political strategy being out of there. Yeah, very I, I just I found that whole attack. I mean, I didn't listen to Parliament, so I mean, you can tell us all about that. But I just found that whole attack on Leah. Just I, I found it disgusting, and I, I found it offensive. 
is simply because if we do have spare vaccines, there is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be sending it to New South Wales to help them. Mm. You know, that's the right thing to do. Mm. I don't know how forceful Leah came out in relation to that. You're saying it wasn't very, and she wasn't, you know, there was no strategy behind it. Yeah. I, I don't know, but uh, in relation to the, the, the concept, the idea, it's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And for <laughs> Labor to come out and make a political, um, you know, mountain out of a molehill, I just thought it was offensive. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. the other thing too to factor in there is that, um, you know, she's part, of, she's part of the greater party that is currently the federal government. So who's to say that some of that hasn't come from, you know, head office, so to speak, to, to try and, uh, you know, create some groundswell of that pr- proportion as well? Hmm. I, yeah. I don't know, Pete, but I'm, I'm just taking this statement on face value, right? Yeah. Whether it were strategy or well, no strategy is, to me, irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. He's making a statement saying, you know, and, and what I heard to my own ears was, hmm. hey, if they spare vaccines, we should send them to Sydney because they're in trouble. Yeah. I, th- I think the other question to ask too is if if um, Michael Gunner and the um, uh, Labor Party and the Territory are so outraged by it being sent to uh, Sydney, would they prefer it's thrown in the bin? Is that the alternative they'd like? No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but but look, just and, and back to the bad politics part of it, though. Like seriously, all week in Parliament, we've had to listen as they laughed Labor and try to come up with with different um, places that have to start with the same letter, like a uh, assimilation. Um, uh, that's not the right word. What am I thinking of? Um, alliteration. Sorry, mm-hmm. alliteration. I'm the English major. Shut <laughs> up. Um, so they're saying, no, you want to send. You want to send vaccines, leader of the opposition, from the Barclay to Bondi, right. and then they and then all week we've listened to different variations yeah. of this. They pick other places. Darwin to Dubbo. Yeah, yeah, that was one. Yeah, yeah there yeah. was all kinds, and, and, <laughs> and take. But it was better to take remote communities. You get yeah. more points if you yeah, do that. Yeah. And it was yeah. clear that they were playing political games the whole yeah, week. Right. But yeah. and we'll get into how ridiculous that uh, whole and, and that's was. what is offensive to me, Chris. Yeah, absolutely, right? because. What that tells me as a, as a taxpayer and as a voter, you know what? You guys have nothing, nothing. And so this is the best you can come up with to deflect from the issues that are worth debating. Oh, yeah, and we'll get into that. Yep. Right. All right. So um, Gary Haslett, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about him last week because we did weekends a day earlier. Yeah, that's right. Um, he got bashed at uh, Casuarina Shopping Centre, is that right, or the car park down the bottom there? Yeah, that's right, underneath uh, the Woolies there. Yes. Okay. Yeah. How did so, that happen, and, and is he okay now? Yeah, from what we understand, he's he's recovering. I guess, you know, he was saying at the time. So he, so when did this happen? Was it the Wednesday night or Thursday evening? And he got a... Uh, yeah, he got bashed pretty good, and he took some photos of it and posted it on Facebook, uh, said that he was told that he would require surgery on his uh, on his jaw there, on his cheekbones that were, were heavily damaged. His glasses were smashed. Of course, you can see the photos were pretty graphic in terms of showing the swelling there around the eye and uh, said he couldn't see out of one of the eyes. Um, 
Now, one of the things that he said was that he was that he believed he was, quote, targeted partly because I had my election signage on my car. Now, I don't know that mm-hmm. these that these <laughs> kids who are out committing these crimes are politically astute enough to want to send a political message with anything that they're doing. But uh, anyway, Gary said that now that was what happened. He said the police were in there minutes within minutes, uh, did a great job, they said, but then he, you know, turned it into a political thing a bit here too, saying, you know, but what will happen once they catch them? How many more people will they bash and how much compensation from the governments will they get for being in the system? I hope this makes sense and there are not too many errors, he said, but I can only half see out of one eye with broken glasses. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so, and, and you know, we have to point out here in the story too, it's not the first time that Gary Hazlitt had a run-in um, with a criminal in town and just even just before Christmas last year, uh, I remember this video and, and he was in the, he was in the Palmerston, the Johnston McDonald's and he, um, this woman had a, a chain out in the parking lot. It's just bizarre. It was What's just that so Gary. Strange. Yeah. And that was Gary. He was oh, the one hiding no. in the McDonald's where, this woman's throwing the chain around with a lock on the end and smashing right. out his car windows. And it all wow. seems to go back to his car. It all, and, he's, <laughs> and he's got that convertible. Right? I can't remember what that car is, what the make of that car is. But I don't think it was the convertible that's been involved here. But th- this incident at Casarina, apparently the police then put out a message saying they're looking for the group of youths. They've, they've since arrested two of them. They said it was like two 13, 14-year-old kids. Um mm. Anyway, they said that, that that it started by a group of youths who allegedly threw a bottle and kicked his vehicle and then proceeded to assault him when he stopped to confront the group. Uh, the victim, yeah, well, yeah, it's in one I'm instance, he got him hiding in a McDonald's with a chain wielding lunatic out front and another one he's confronting them and so uh yeah i don't know um but certainly it's it's, it's resonated with people in the community and we you know we put that up on facebook hundreds of comments on that yeah and, you know this is I've, I've had the same thing happen to me or i've been afraid of the same thing happening to me what can be done here what yeah. can we do about this thing so it's really resonated with people and um even it even, in parliament today it was brought up that you know the control of the crime is so out of control here that you've got aldermen being bashed in the streets mm-hmm. here in a shopping center so, yeah. so so does uh is the issue because of the proximity of the bus station to the car park well that's it, it seems we're going to look into that a little bit more right because there do seem to be issues with the interchange that we know there yeah. bus now if you guys take it back to the story about the, the missing letter for the Casarina pool that Convat Scalis um, and council had, had misplaced, I guess. And Someone took the L, did they? Uh, yeah. They took the what? Took the L from pool. <laughs> yeah. no, so this was a letter from, from cabinet to, uh, to the, to the council and to the mayor saying, Hey, come look at what Palmerson's doing with their pool. They've got this youth drop-in center. Um, uh, they had given like, you know, $7 million towards the anti-government. So it seems like there's uh, at least some money potentially on the table there for, for con and council, Darwin council to do the same thing with the Casarina pool upgrade when that goes on. But the letter apparently got misplaced, the correspondence, if you will. And, uh, uh, we didn't know, but, and then it was an alderman who brought it forward. Anyway, long story short on that, we've got to look into so Khan is now saying well no i you know i don't want it in the pool i don't want the drop-in center in the pool area 
because people are going to be doing stuff there. I don't know, like, but but he didn't take them up on their offer. Maybe he has now to go and check out what was going on in Palmerston. You would think that you know putting kids in a place where activities are happening is probably a good thing. But mm-hmm. what he said, I believe he said, or somebody else said that they wanted to move the drop-in center that used to be wherever it was to um, uh, next to the library there at Casarina. Where there's oh, yeah. a, a toy thing or some kids thing there, child care center that's closed yep. down now. Um, now that's pretty close to your bus interchange there, where you've got other problems. So what's going to happen? Where is this actually going to go? Well, it's now? also and spitting distance from the police station. So yeah, yeah, that's true. That yeah, one's, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I that's something that we're going to have to bring up here as these kind of council elections move along. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, all of this stuff's all tied in together, though. And then now we've got uh, Gary running against Con here. So, uh, uh, for mayor. Uh, so, oh, Gaz is running for mayor. Yeah, he's running for mayor as well. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. And, he's, and Leah Potter. She's running as well. And the, the soup, the Loxa lady. Oh, yeah, Amy. Yeah. And uh, she runs for everything, on. Amy, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, what the hell? State, man. federal, councils, whatever. <laughs> federal. I don't think she's on bed. Maybe she had it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that was that bizarreness this week. Mm. All right, well, let's um, let's move on to the next story, Chris, and uh, an MLA's shock resignation uh, to trigger an NT by-election after one of the CLP MLA's has resigned. Yeah, so it was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a shock here that uh, on that morning, you know, it was only, I think, 20 minutes. They called the press conference saying that uh, the CLP member for Daily, Ian Sloan, would be making a statement. Um, I'm not sure that anyone got up very quickly and ran out the door for that one. Um, But imagine they got there, I guess, on time because then we found out what happened. So he announced. uh, Were you guys invited to that one? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. CLP has been professional about everything. They That's respect good. the media. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, we did. I couldn't get into the, I don't think I would have been able to get in within 20 minutes and I didn't know what it was about. But anyway, we did find out that it's, uh, that Ian Sloan has announced that he is standing down. This will trigger a by election in that electorate of Daly. He's, now he does this, you know, less than 12 months after being elected. Yeah. yeah so remember, he replaced uh, Gary Higgins, former CLP leader, Gary Higgins out there in Daly, who've been there for a few years. Uh, anyway, uh, Ian Sloan says it's health reasons, the reason that he's had to uh, retire from politics this early. He says it's been a difficult decision, one that I've taken time to consider, as I'm fully aware of the implications this will have on the electorate of Daly, the staff in my office, my parliamentary colleagues, the party and my family, he said. Uh, he continued, though, however, due to health reasons, I've reached the point that I've decided to step down to focus on myself and my family, as I feel I can't properly represent the people of Daly at this time. So, right. Well, we don't know the specifics of, of what any, um, you know, uh, outstanding health issue with, with, with Mr. Sloan is. And they, you know, said, uh, we asked for our privacy at this time. We'll give him that he was in parliament this week. So this will be his last, um, sittings within this is a two week one. So, uh, the end of next Thursday, I guess he'll be given his retirement speech in parliament and, uh, mm. you know, we'll get a by-election called here at some point. Now, when he, 
references that about uh, difficult decision, and he says that he's fully aware of the implications that this will have on his parliamentary colleagues and the party. You think, yeah, um, what is this going to mean now? This, the, Of course, we know it'll be a by-election. Uh, who will they get to run there? Who will Labour get to run there? Um, you know, right out of the gate, though, before I, I think this had just got done, we just started reporting this and see if people were good enough. And we got the, the, the statement and everything. We got our story up in pretty good time. <laughs> and then uh, Nicole Madison was coming out and campaigning straight after saying, uh, you know, they haven't done enough there in that region. We're keeping the territory safe with COVID. We're saving everybody. The people in Berkeley know we're saving lives and was just a full politicking mode. So <laughs> I guess they're ready to go and they've got something to prove there. If they can pick up that seat, uh, I don't know. It's kind of gone both ways, though. Before Higgins, of course, uh, you guys probably remember Rob Knight was yes. a, a representative out there. Yeah, he was a very uh, quiet guy, Rob Knight. Yeah, yeah, a minister, but yeah, um, yeah. So he's so uh, we don't really know exactly how that's going to swing this way. I mean, I, I think depending on who the CLP get. I think the advantage is probably to the CLP, you know, uh, sitting governments don't typically win uh, by elections. Uh, mm. It's usually a message sent. And I think and if they roll out, if they roll out with saving lives and jobs, jobs, jobs again, um, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think they'll be shot before they start. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think people have had a gut full of that stuff. So, <laughs> and they'll, and they'll tell them right straight out, <laughs> out in the daily yeah. region. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Bachelor and other areas. Yeah. Say, yeah, no. It also takes in what air or something, doesn't it? So, I just had mm-hmm. that recollection when Gary Higgins was on the podcast, Pete. And he yeah, no, that's, yeah right. that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's a pretty big uh, voting center there. It also mm-hmm. included Adelaide River, Acacia Hills, yeah, Bachelor, Dundee Beach, Pine Creek, Timber Creek, and Water. Wow. So, yeah, it's a big, big electorate. No, yeah. Not even one of the biggest, though, here. <laughs> How many people in that electorate? Is well, interest? they're all around um, five to 6,000, so I think wow. you're looking at about 6,000 people there. Gee. Yeah. The amount of land there, yeah. is, uh, is Gawaja, Pete. Oh, uh, yeah, it is too. Yeah. Uh, who, who, who's Formerly known as Stuart. Yeah. yeah. Gawaja, Gawaja. Yeah, yeah so that's Chancey Pig. Former yeah. Australian uh, test opener. Oh, a different pronunciation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Um, oh, well, let's see what happens because uh, yeah. this will certainly be a test of Leah's leadership as well, amongst other things, wouldn't it? Yes, mm. absolutely, yeah. Mm. And um, because this is hers to lose here, um, yeah. Yeah, it, true. Like it should be a pickup for the opposition, so we'll see, or maintain, I guess. <laughs> Okay, uh, mate, the next story is not an anti-independent story, but it's one that came out in the Weekend Australian of all papers. <laughs> uh, and this is entitled Anti-Corruption Watchdog to Investigate ICAC Hatchet Job by Amos Aikman, the Northern, Ter- Northern correspondent for The Australian, which is obviously the uh, national newspaper. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, what happened here? Uh, I don't even know. I, I'm still trying to make sense of this madness and the damage to these people's reputation. Like, look, I know Amos. Uh, I've worked with him on things before. Uh, I haven't talked to him of late. Glad to see he's still writing things. We didn't know. You know, he never. We, we contacted him last year about the issue with us being banned by the government and uh, didn't hear back from him on that. Uh, 
So anyway, this is uh, yeah, the first story I've seen from him in quite a while. And the story is essentially uh, saying that, um, <laughs> well, that, that the ICAC's report, and keep in mind that that was into the grandstand scandal, we know all of that stuff, that the ICAC report uh, was somehow a stitch up of, or a hatchet job they're calling it, um, and payback to the NT News because the NT News had published unfavorable stories about the ICAC in the days before uh-huh. the uh, Grandstand report came out. Now, you know, and we've, we've been over this, uh, Matt Cunningham's written things in the NT News where he had a whole timeline, except that if you if you put at the top of that timeline that the, the Matt Williams and, uh, and the NT News and News Corp knew about the letter, like you would think that they would have, or the text message that Williams had sent Dixon, that it actually changes everything. And it looks like, I guess the question would be, did News Corp, did the NT News go after the ICAC because they knew that this was going to come out in a report? That's the other way to look at it here. But, you know, forgetting all those hypotheticals and things that, that we don't know about, what they've done here is irresponsible reporting. What they've done here is they've purposely omitted damaging words. Now, you remember that we talked about this and there was an editorial that we ran about how, you know, they had come out and said, oh, that text message. So just to get everybody back into the context here. So in, in, in Ken Fleming's report, he says that there's, he identifies what he calls a senior media figure who offered favorable coverage to Brett Dixon um, in relation to the grandstand. And this is at the time in October, 2019, when the public's outraged um, there's talk of ICAC investigations afoot and, and, you know, Matt Williams writes to, uh, Dixon, he sends him a text and he says, you know, Hey mate, thanks for the good chat today. He says, I'll, you know, we'll do my absolute best to put a stop to this, meaning the negative media coverage. And you can count on us to deliver plenty of positivity when the grandstand opens. Right. And he says, it continued on the NT news, especially since I've been in charge, has been a big supporter. Now, so we we later identified that through sources that that's Matt Williams, and I'm, everybody read it knew that. I mean, I think what was blacked out in the in the ICAC report was his name and the NT news's, but there was nobody else who was being who was who would be in charge of something that would be a big supporter. Um, and that would actually make these kind of promises to, to somebody and, and compromise the reputation of, of their news organization and every journalist that works there. So anyway, look, we ran the story. They're now mad. They're angry about this. Now at the time we sent them everything. We sent them questions about that. We sent them quite, we sent them the text message. We sent them, um, uh, questions about, about Williams's conduct and other issues and stuff. It was just a whole lot of questions. We wanted to be very thorough there. Um, they had no time that they tell us that that was an incomplete text. Now, the basis of this story that they're running in the Australian is that it was always oh, incomplete. Like, you guys, like, they didn't publish the whole thing. Um, okay, so what what was it that we're missing here? What is this great line that they didn't think to provide us when we wrote the story? And they did respond to us. They gave us a statement, and we ran that statement verbatim, gave them their full say on everything. We'd also pointed out every instance where it appeared that there was unobjective reporting of the turf club, including the two uh, exclusives that they got one that the turf club had won the $12 million grant that had no criticism at all, even though we had hospital issues and a, fun- a financial crisis. And the second one was that JTEX had been given the contract, the tender again, no 
uh, no objective reporting there at all or any uh, criticisms about JTEX and the chair of the board giving it to his own company or getting it from the board to his own company. Anyway, so they say, no, no, there's more here. This Now they say this three weeks after we run the story, they start talking about, oh, no, we've got things because Dixon had come out, right? And Dixon said, no, there's more stuff to that text. And they're like, ah, there, he's got the idea. Why don't we go with this? So now we've been waiting and we called for it in an editorial and we said, all right, well, just tell us now. You didn't tell us three weeks ago. Tell us now what, what this line is at the end that they're alleging that we'll exonerate them all. And well, I guess we'll all eat our words. Uh, so we know that's not going to happen. So another week or two goes on and they, they drop it finally. <laughs> they say, now they say the full message. So they say, according to um, the ICAC report, they reproduced a text message between Williams and Dixon, which read, and this is all that they've got one line in here from this text. Now, keep in mind, the big one was, I'll make this go away, or I'll do my best to make this go away. What they, they, don't, they don't reference that at all. What they reference is the bottom line of the, uh, of the text, which says the NT News, especially since I've been in charge, has been a, a big supporter. Now, they're writing, and I can't believe Amos did this. Anyway, the full message, however, read, quote, the NT News, especially since I've been in charge, has been a big supporter. And now here's the missing line of racing. And we will continue to be. Mm -hmm. Now, that's it. He's exonerated. Case closed here. He clearly didn't offer. He clearly didn't offer favorable coverage. He says he's a big supporter of racing and will continue to be. Uh, that's how we took it. That's how we took it, that you're a big supporter of racing. And in fact, if he's talking about racing, the, the peak body is TRNT, which Brett Dixon is also the chair of. So was he saying, was he trying to imply that, yeah, they'd be doing something else with TRNT, doing favorable coverage for them? Anyway, uh, th that's, that isn't what they build that to be. And again, the, the most damaging or disturbing part for me is that Amos Aikman, a respected journalist, didn't include the actual line above that that said we'll do my absolute best to put a stop to this and you can count on us to del deliver plenty of positivity when the grandstand opens uh anyway bad reporting just just terrible reporting and then they they relied on some other things here they they relied on their own lawyer and i tell you when you're quoting your own lawyer in a story you don't have a very good story <laughs> just you guys can quote me on that <laughs> i end up ever doing that um and 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 this is their lawyer <laughs> i know michael cameron too because i worked at today, so i know michael but he's saying the final icac report appears to be a rushed hatchet job designed to public publicly embarrass the nt news and williams um mr cameron also alleged that a senior icac official had left the newspaper's general manager greg thompson with, quote, the impression that the reference to Mr. Williams in the forthcoming report was in essence a retaliatory act by the ICAC over the NT News' reporting of unrelated matters concerning the ICAC. Now, that that's interesting and kind of contradictory in its own sense, and uh, it raises more questions than anything, right? So they're trying to say that Fleming added this text. So they're not defending the fact that Williams wrote this text. And that, and that he offered it. They're not saying that he didn't offer it. They're saying, oh, there was another couple of words in there. <laughs> what their, what their issue is, is that it came up. Like, this is like, this is like government cover up stuff. Like, oh, we're not mad that we did it. We won't be held responsible. We're mad it got out. We're mad it got exposed. So now they're saying, and so, so the idea here is that because Matt Cunningham had written stories, which, 
you know, we're already resolved. The ICAC inspector was looking into these contracts that were awarded between Kay Kelly, the senior uh, uh, investigator there at the ICAC, and her partner. Um, apparently, there were they had hired him. He was qualified, a former cop, former or a current lawyer. So they hired him to do some investigative work. And there was an issue there. And then there was, and this will go into the next story, I guess. But then there was this uh, uh, former employee who didn't think that that was appropriate, that her partner should get the contracts, uh, even though he was qualified, but she'd made the complaint about that. So um, the ICAC inspector ended up doing an investigation. We can get in that in a minute. But um, the, back to this Australian story and what News Corp's doing is saying, well, because, because you know, the NT News reported on that issue, that, that wasn't that, let's be honest, that electrifying an issue, but, you know, whatever, it's in the public interest. Um, but because they were reporting on that, the ICAC needed to get revenge somehow. And how he did it was he put this text message in the report. Right? Not that they're concerned that the text message exists and that Cunningham had destroyed the reputation of the newspaper. But the fact that it's there now, the part that I, I never get here was the part with Greg Thompson. So it says that Thompson had the impression that the reference to Williams in the forthcoming report was, in essence, a retaliatory act by the ICAC in the forthcoming report. So that means that he knew what was going to be in the report before it came out. Like their whole argument here is that this was put in at the last minute, that it was done out of spite by the ICAC. But yet somehow Greg Thompson has talked to a senior ICAC investigator who had told him, it left him with the impression that the reference to Williams in the forthcoming report. So that means that they knew about it before the report came out. So when, when was Thompson told about this in the forthcoming report? I don't know. I, it goes back to the whole thing. Like, who's who's doing retaliatory action on who in this thing? Really, we don't know enough about that at this point. What I know is that that text message is pretty damning, and these guys don't want to actually cover that um, and and own up to that, and you know, make the editor of their newspaper accountable for his actions here by saying, "I'll make the, I'll do my best to." provide favorable media coverage you just can't do that and the more they do this i mean i had to laugh when like you know i came out of nowhere um i don't even know why that i guess that our story our story was extremely well read and uh i guess it just really dug into them for a while but then they had no defense to it until dixon had come up with his massive member ramblings there 4200 word rant and then they, they took it from there and then news corp started running with it so uh yeah okay i guess we'll just see where this goes here now funny enough too news corp isn't suing icac but they did file this formal complaint uh i guess with the icac inspector uh who will look into it along with everything else that news corp and brett dixon have thrown out there to try and discredit the icac so we'll see where it goes yeah, and, and pushing to the next story, Chris, because it sort of works directly into it. So the, the former uh, ICAC head honcho, uh, Ken Fleming, has now been referred to Privileges Committee with the independent Robin Lamley saying she's got no confidence in what seems to be a politically motivated committee. Yeah, so this is funny because you guys remember we've talked about this for the year more than we've been doing this. So the Privileges Committee. Mm-hmm. What is yeah. it? Somebody called They haven't done much, have they? No. Um, yeah. So this, he will now be the first human being in the history of the Northern Territory. <laughs> to appear. Well, that's not exactly true, but it's been, it's been many yeah. a year. Um, the Privileges Committee isn't even organized properly. Like they don't even know what they're doing. Um, 
but you know, we, we've talked about this, and somebody said, you know, what, what's what's going to happen to him? And I said, well, he'll get a, he'll be publicly rebuked if he's found to have um, not told the truth in Parliament. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to find. But um, you know, he's he's retired. He's since left. I think it'll be very interesting if this comes to this, and that, and if this is you know televised or you know streamed online here that we can see it i think mm-hmm. it'll be a very interesting day he loves the camera doesn't he <laughs> yeah and he's and he's then he's out of the role now so <laughs> he doesn't have anything to lose um <laughs> one of the things that that robin lamley so the government brought this forward and they brought it forward on this kind of urgency motion at the beginning which suspended every other order of business until this was dealt with which was strange anyway um yeah and and you know it was in reference to these comments uh, yeah, I should make that very clear. It has nothing to do with the Turf Club report or anything like that or anything exciting even at all. This is about this former employee who was aggrieved and who made a complaint that that she thought it was inappropriate that the director of investigations partner who was qualified was getting contracts. So this is like a really bad um just internal office dispute here that's now come out. And then, of course, so the NT News ran the story that day. Uh, at estimates back in June, and that's when Ken Fleming um, started talking in in in, uh, uh, in estimates and saying and, and going off for far too long and saying probably more than he than he wished he had said, uh, including getting into details. I mean, he didn't name the employee, but he started saying, you know, we had issues with her, and blah blah blah, and then she got upset about that, and her lawyer came in. And uh, John Lawrence and he gave a presentation to the estimates hearing that we that wasn't public and he refuted some of the things that Fleming said about her work. It's all like a workplace matter. And, uh, mm. and it just seems so HR got involved. Yeah. It seems like if you know if you're gonna get the ICAC and you're gonna send them to privileges for something, uh, you you think it'd be a little better than this. But and, and, and for some reason we had to stop the bait on you know, emer- the emergency at the hospital, the overcrowding there, the, the crime stuff going on, these issues that are facing us, economy, um, and uh, and discuss this. So they, they try to get it through quick. Gunner said, look, there were conflicting, conflicting evidence provided between, you know, uh, Fleming and, uh, and John Lawrence, the former employee's attorney. So we're going to... Um, we're going to refer it to privileges. So Lamley then a big mixture ridden into town and gone. I'll sort it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the leader, yeah, the leader of government there is now sending um, the ICAC to privileges. So uh, look, it was supported, I think, well by by labor, of course, and they had the numbers, so they could do whatever they wanted with it. Now, Robin Lamley was interesting though because Lamley got up. And said she wasn't going to support the motion. She said that the whole way that they run their committees in general, not just estimates, but public accounts, privileges, it's made up with no independent insight at all or oversight of it. It's just basically run by the government. The government has the numbers to put their people on the committee. It's always a majority of their own people. She said that she had actually, because she was on the estimates committee, had written a dissenting report about the way that they've even conducted that estimates hearing. And she was saying, like, you guys, you know, Joel Bowden had chaired it. She said he did a terrible job. It was a, it was an awful job. And Gunner was sitting next to Fleming, and they both let, let Fleming ramble on and breach his time limit rules for speaking. So she's saying, technically, um, 
you know, the person, and then if they were apparently identified by the ICAC commissioner, would not be in this position if the budget estimates committee was chaired and managed correctly. And then she gets into all of her issues that she has with the fact that it's not independent. She says, I'm not satisfied that any outcome of any inquiry by the privileges committee of this assembly will, will come up with anything that's fair or even demonstrating integrity. I have no confidence at all in the parliamentary process undertaken by committees in this assembly. The lack of democracy, the lack of transparency, and the lack of process is appalling. She's saying, I have no foot in either camp here. I'm just concerned about what's best for Territorians. And this is not in the best interest of Territorians. People expect more. They deserve more. They deserve a better process. Um, and she said, I have grave concerns about the motivations of the government for making this referral. Because this is not something that we should really all be <laughs> yeah, going on about. So... She also pointed out, though, and, and this is, I mean, quite true, that uh, the Kizia Purik, after that issue with her, she was referred to privileges in the last legislative assembly. But then they ran out of time to deal with her, and the election happened. So the government said, or the speaker at the time, Chancellor Pake, put out this whole thing saying, yeah, when we come back, when there's a new you know, legislative assembly after the election, we'll, we'll re pursue this. And uh, and she'll be brought back. We're a year in and they've never done it. They had all this time. Now they're referring the ICAC at the beginning under urgency. And in no time did they think it was urgent or even it didn't even have to be on urgency. They had a year that they could have referred Kizia Purik because that's still not resolved um, of her breaches of the act and other things that were all in that ICAC report. So um she pointed that out. She said that, that that didn't happen. And then, you know, you think about the, the other guy. Where, where's Turner? When Turner was supposed to be referred, Turner's mm -hmm. supposed to be here. Um, where's that at, at this point? Like, is it is it just going to be a thing with Fleming? Is he going to be the only guy who ever shows up in front of privileges and, and what then? I don't know. Like, the, the, these committees that they set up, and Lamley's got a really good point here about all of this. Um and about the lack of integrity and transparency around it. And it, you just get the sense that it is that these are tools for the government to use now. And they used to, they were better when they first came in in 2016 about setting up scrutiny committees and all of that stuff and making sure, you know, that everybody was represented. And now they've just turned this down. I mean, we talked about that slippery slope of being on, you know, you start banning the media. That, that's, that's one thing. And you start changing laws to protect yourselves, which they did. Um, you know, now they have these, these committees that they've set up where, you know, they, they dominate them. They can do what they want. They can haul people before them to testify. We're getting in this issue here. And then, and, you know, the CLP, so they supported it because, you know, I guess Leah didn't find any particular grounds to stand on to, to reject it. But she said that, you know, she'll support the motion, but then used her speech to, to kind of call for the current review of that ICAC Act that's going on right now to be made public again. And we've spoken about that a lot. It's behind closed doors. We don't know the terms of reference for that right now. And so, you know, she had a good line there saying that, um, you know, the ICAC is so the ICAC Act is so important and doing a behind closed doors review, which is controlled by the government, does not instill confidence in the process. And then she added that there could be a, a perception that the ICAC was being turned into a, quote, tool of the government. So, yeah, had, had, hard to argue with her. Why are they doing this review behind closed doors? Why, why, why not just throw it out there? Tell us what the terms of reference are, what they need to change with that act, and what, what they think the public needs to change with the act. And uh, I'm sure they want to have their say on, 
on Fleming's tenure there as well. And that's fine. And remember, we've got the new guy who had to put out that statement saying, give me some air to breathe here, guys. I'll take it over. I've got to, I got to get doing this my way. And I think we're going to see a lot of things come out of there in terms of whatever, but I think he's got, he's got a lot of issues there. And we clearly can see that there were, that there is some sort of toxic workplace stuff going on there too. This is kind of the behind the scenes stuff of it. But when you're, you know, when estimates hearings are taken up with a work workplace matter, yeah. Um, that's now resulted in being in, in the Privileges Committee of Parliament being involved in this 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 employment dispute. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's mm. ridiculous. Yeah, I can't can't be getting involved in that stuff. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. good effort though when you think about it. I mean, how long's the ICAC been around in uh, in the NT? No, it was like late it's late was in November twenty eighteen, I think. Yeah. And then he didn't really get rolling until early twenty nineteen. Yeah, so yeah, two, it's been over two years. Yeah, so two and, two and, and a bit years, years to create a toxic culture. I mean, that's uh, it must be record speed. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the general manager will have some answering to do to the uh, to the new commissioner. Mm. Well, mate, uh, on the subject of uh, ICAC and, and and other things, it was a sittings week this week, as you mentioned before. Yeah, and. Uh, I know I actually used this word at the start of this podcast that I was offended by the way the uh, Labor had come out uh, in relation to uh, distribution of excess vaccines to Sydney. But it seems Natasha Files was also offended um, in Parliament as debate turns into a farce. What happened there, Chris? Uh. Oh my God! I know. Like I'm going to be claiming workplace issues here that I have to <laughs> be subjected and watch this all day. Yeah, look, uh, you guys remember back in May, this made like national news when we did the story about how um, Natasha Files was so offended because there's such distress and offense to know that Leah Finocchiaro was calling her uh, incompetent and the government incompetent, that she cried to uh, Speaker Nari Akit, who said, yeah, okay, fine, I'm going to put that on the list of words that are banned <laughs> in this parliament. And mm-hmm. and this, we became the national laughingstock again. <laughs> like, ABC had professionals in Sydney discussing that stuff. Like, what the hell's going on up yeah. there in Darwin? They had linguists. <laughs> come on, they had they had experts, word experts, come on and start saying, you know, what's offensive, what isn't, where, 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 what's the etymology of the word incompetent, where does it come from? <laughs> you know, it just it was so ridiculous. So, um, Files has decided to continue on with this childish game here, and every time, doesn't matter what was said, it was offensive. And Leah, you know, she got up, I think she had 23 minutes, 25 minutes. It took an hour. Like I was estimating because it had started in the morning and then it had to stop for lunch. And then it had to, we had to go to question time. And then it got back into that. And I estimated, not counting the time that's there, but when she was on the floor trying to deliver a 25 minute speech, that took about an hour because Mm -hmm. of all of the interjections from the leader of government business, Natasha Files. Now, what she objected to, what she was so offended by this time was firstly, uh, Leah had made a comment about how, you know, you're bringing in the investment commissioner, the major projects commissioner, you're creating all these, you know, senior public servant jobs again, because you do not have the capacity to make a decision yourself on anything. Uh, 
And Is so, it a question? Yeah. And so she mm. jumped up. Uh, she had lost it. She, she could not believe it. She just had the rage that how dare she be that offensive to say that they don't have the capacity to make decisions themselves. So she got up and said, no, I'm offended. That's offensive. And you know how she talks very fast and like a robot and, and she must withdraw those comments, must, must withdraw those remarks. And there's like in the rules and the speaker has to play along and say, all right, well, if the member finds it offensive, <laughs> You're going to have to withdraw that. And then we get into a bigger thing because Leah's saying, what, that I said they didn't have the capacity to make decisions? Like, I'm not. Why would I withdraw that? And uh, so that was just one thing. The other one was, and this is true. This is true. <laughs> they got angry and she objected because at one point Leah said, instead of, you know, answering territorians, you're just fobbing off questions. And she got up and said, no, that's offensive, saying that we're fobbing off questions. Like, this is ridiculous. And it happened to be about every 45 seconds to a minute. And then at one point, you know, Leah got angry and she was getting frustrated. I mean, it's a tactic by labor, right? To get under her yeah. skin. But it, when, when, and we'll get into it because the, when the, what the public sees though is just a government holding territorians contempt and using parliament as their own little plaything here. Mm. But the other thing that, so Leah's getting upset and frustrated at this point. And then file sits back down. And Leah says, yeah, look at you. You're all smug over there. And then she jumps up again saying, I'm offended. I'm not smug. <laughs> I find that offensive. And she is the most smug person, especially when she realized that, you know, she was really getting under Leah's skin with this yeah. stuff. But how frustrating. Imagine that you're getting up, you're trying to talk, deliver a speech, and you've got somebody. Like, if there were, you know, real reasons to interject, then so be it. But to get up at every 45 seconds or so and just yeah. say, I'm offended by that. I'm offended by this. When when all they're doing is being critical. All Leo was doing was saying, look, I don't agree with what you guys are doing in this space. And this is why I think you're not doing a good job. Well, no, that's offense. Can't say that they're not doing a good job. And uh, the member for Wentworth was uh, implicated as well. What a look at the article. <laughs> oh, my God. Leon, that guy today. He did it again today. He's still offended. This was, uh, when was this? Was this Tuesday or Wednesday? Um, yeah, he got up because at one point, oh, so, so finally the speaker. You're and, talking about Joel Bowden here, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Joel Bowden. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we knew who you meant. No, yeah. Speaking of <laughs> smug, oh, <laughs> Joel Bowden. Um, so anyway, the, 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 the speaker in an effort to try and, restore order at this point because it's just out of control it's just a farce as we said in the story it's a fact it's not an editorial comment that's what it was it descended into farce and everyone's yelling at everybody and everybody's offended about everybody else so Nario kid says okay here's what we're gonna do 10 minutes 10 minutes leah finacchiaro uh -huh. the leader of the opposition can speak uninterrupted if anyone interjects they're out you're in the bin yeah, yeah, Love for it. an hour. So, um, <laughs> so she got ten minutes to speak, and at the end of that ten minutes, and I and I, I don't know what happened to Files at that point. I mean, she maybe just laid down, and had a nap. Or he was offended she, and left. <laughs> yeah, she well, got a recharging. Maybe she'd be allowed to talk and took <laughs> off. So. Yeah, <laughs> so there are no more malfunctions <laughs> like that other week. Um, I think it was a hard reboot, to be honest. <laughs> So, so in her uh, absence, um, we needed we needed somebody to be offended, and so Joel Bowden took it upon himself to come forward. And at one point, uh, Finacchiaro had said, and this was you know uh, shortly after they had shut down um, a uh, a motion to censure Gunner over the grandstand stuff, and she wanted to talk to that, and the government shut it down, wouldn't let them talk on it. So, um, and she said, oh, I think they shut it down because of 
if we had a, if it had gone to a vote, we think maybe, you know, uh, the member for Johnston, Joel Bowden, may have come over and voted on our side that he's not too impressed with how Gunner's handling this. <laughs> and so she gets done her 10 minutes and I was probably at the three minute mark. So there's a whole bunch of other things in the, in the following seven minutes. And then, yeah, the member from Wentworth, Wentworth um, <laughs> uh, Sleepy Joel says, nah, I've, uh, I'm offended now. I don't know why she would say that I would turn on my leader, Michael Gunner. Mm-hmm. And I'm offended by that. And I want her to withdraw it. Like, just go with this, guys. Like, deal with it. Fire mm-hmm. back with something, you know? Yep. Don't just... Because this is what I'm saying. It is just, if 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 anyone's watching that, they just got to be disgusted with the whole thing. Like it, and we see that the reason part of why this happened and is allowed to go on is that the government doesn't actually have anything mm. to do. There's no business. Yeah. They don't have anything. They're they're yeah. coming. They're dreaming things up. They're bringing stuff in on urgency because they hadn't even figured it out until oh that'll that'll kill some time. They can't even fill time in this <laughs> place with legislation. And so they get into this and they got nothing but time on their hands. So anytime the opposition wants to be critical, we know that they don't like criticism. We know they're very thin skinned. So they jump up, claim to be offended. And it's just wasting everybody's time. It's wasting everybody's money. And it's an insult to to territorians who expect more from their democratic democratically elected parliament Mm. that should be representing them and the government should be explaining themselves and and at least taking this seriously, because the way they're doing it now just doesn't even look like that. Yeah. I think they should come up with some more shade structures, to be honest. <laughs> there's there's got to be several more of those they can put around the city. Uh, yeah, look, they've apparently got the money to do that, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah, no, they're just, they just, they can't, they can't even be bothered these days showing up. Well, uh, look, let's move on to the next story because it, it uh, again, sort of fits in uh, along similar lines anyway. And uh, the Gunner government has been accused of an abuse of power, uh, killing off debate, talking about the grandstand scandal in Parliament this week. Yeah, that's right. So the day before, as I mentioned there, uh, the CLP opposition brought forward a motion to censure uh, Michael Gunner over his handling of that scandal, which was shut down very quickly. Um, and and the debate didn't happen. So it was actually the next day as the uh, as a general business day motion, the CLP brought forward, which is standard procedure, lets them uh, debate what they want to debate. They brought it forward. They wanted to discuss the grandstand and how the government handled that. So, uh, you know, they're already with their speeches ready to go. And the government says, no, you're not going to do that. And they just killed it before any, any, uh, discussion about it could actually happen. And we've seen this before with these guys. And this time, you know, this time you just got the sense that it did go a little too far that, that they would shut this down and not even allow criticism of themselves in the people's parliament where the public demand answers that they weren't even going to, to provide any answers. And Leo Finocchiaro was upset about it. There, you know, they were saying the CLP was saying, I don't know if we can find this out. We will um, probably, but they were saying that this was kind of unprecedented, that, that, that normally a bill like this motion wouldn't be killed in this way that, that you would get some debate on something there, but the, this government who does not like criticism, uh, uh, just, sh- just killed it, shut it down. Um, 
She said, look, it's your job to defend your government's position on the issues that we bring into this chamber on behalf of Territorians. Instead of defending your government, you just shut us down. It's not your job to come in here and shut down every single dissenting voice against you because you don't want to hear it. Uh, Parliament's not the place where you come in and throw your weight around and do whatever you like. That destroys the very fabric of the reason we are in Parliament, why we have parliaments and democracies. Uh, it's a function of the system we live in so that we do not descend into a tyrannical state. Well, we already know what wow. the state is. Strong words. Yeah. And what we're descending into, though, is she said what we've seen, seen here is the most anti-democratic, tyrannical, dictatorship-like behavior that this legislative assembly has witnessed in self-government. Wow. Now, that's, yeah. that's Moam Gaddafi type stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, except that this is where we're at here, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this. I mean, this is a government that came in, you know, when we well, when we came into the scene here, it's the independent. They banned us straight away, wouldn't allow us. Don't don't talk to the free press. Mm-hmm. Um, and now here we are. They're even in parliament and not letting the opposition do their rightful job that is their democratic responsibility to do, which is to yeah. hold them accountable and the government to to explain to Territorians in, in the public arena of parliament mm. that it's for the people doing. of the territory, what they're doing, why they did it. And instead, you know, and, and this is where it then got interesting, right? And this is, the, um, see, throughout the, the question time before she, this, this motion was made, the uh, they had gone pretty hard on the government, Leah, and the opposition saying, you know, what are the facts of this? They, they went after Natasha Files at one point and they said, you know, you went on Mix 104, you went on ABC and you said the cabinet approved or, or assessed the, uh, the grant submission as a market led proposal. We know for a fact that the ICAC found it wasn't it was never a market led proposal it was a grant. It was always going to be a grant. So she said, so what is it? Did, are you going to back up your comments that it was a market-led proposal? Now, mm-hmm. that puts Files in an interesting position because yep. she can't lie in Parliament. Or then mm-hmm. it's misconduct. So, she, but it doesn't matter because if she did lie in Parliament, wouldn't she be referred to the Privileges Committee? Was it worse? <laughs> yeah. The, oh, by the way, she chairs. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you see the problems we're getting into. She'd, be, she'd, be, she'd still be one vote though, right? Yeah. On, yeah, on the privileges the, committee, based yeah, on what we've seen, yeah, yeah, with with Sleepy Joel yeah. and whoever else is on there, but yeah. So here's the thing with that, though. So we're getting into, you know, are they misleading Parliament? They don't want to lie. They've got her wedged in here with the fact that she did say, but not just once, but on two occasions, that mm. oh, it was a market led proposal. When mm. you know, so to the public, they think, oh, okay, well, it was just fair. It was no, it was a grant the whole time. It wasn't market led proposal. So repeat that again, then. Uh, minister is what Leah is saying, and she wouldn't. And 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 the the interesting thing, and Leah played this up a lot after, is that Files was actually reading from notes. Yep. And and that is so rare for her. The little robot just goes on and on. She's got the script programmed in. She didn't that day. They all were reading from scripts. They were all making sure what they said was very carefully um, mm. worded and put on the public record because if they're found to be misleading Parliament, they got issues. They got bigger issues than if they're out on Katie Wolf misleading the public. Um, because mm. there's actually actions that can be taken in that case. Though, again, they're not respecting... Um, 
their own no. code of conduct anyway exactly. with the banning on us. So exactly. I mean, but this is yeah, it's just it's just out of control. It's just complete madness in there now, and mm. uh, everyone's offended. The government's lying. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, I, I was wondering if anybody was offended by that line of questioning, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, man, it's interesting it's just, what she says here, isn't it? The report yeah. made no findings against the government or any minister, Mrs. Ms. File said. I have nothing further to add than what the chief minister has already said publicly. That's exactly what she said on Katie Wolf. I remember yeah. hearing it. Yeah. Well, she actually read that. We saw her. It was not even programmed in. She wants to make sure she says it exactly right. And, and, and what was worse was she was on there uh, there with, I think I think I mentioned this before, with Kezia Purik and, and Leah Finocchiaro. And yeah. just it didn't answer the question. She just came across as being so uh, ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and, and quite frankly, it's just so disappointing. So, yeah. It looks like Leah had a bit of a field day, notwithstanding that she got shut down left, right, and center. Yeah, she then got up, used another debate to kind of uh, have a go at them in Parliament over the shutting down that previous one that was supposed to be the grandstand. And mm. uh, that's what she was saying. She said, look, um, you don't want to lie in Parliament. That's why you're doing it. Uh, the difference uh, here, she said... Um, uh, they were afraid of facing disciplinary action and found to be misleading parliament. And that's the difference here. You control everything and you can shut it down because you know you can't lie. But you're even worse behaved when you're outside of this building. When you're out there in the real world with everyone else, you're happy to lie to their face and you do it daily. You've all sat in front of microphones on the airwaves, through our television screens, in our newspapers and lied straight to the faces of Territorians. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they can't back up what they were saying there in Parliament, you know, she did. She she did a lot better on the second day in there holding the government accountable than she did the first day. The first day was just it was just terrible for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Leah Leah was very calm and composed in that too, which was interesting. She wasn't screaming. She wasn't. She uh, she seems to be improving. Uh, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's like the Borg from Star Trek for those fans of Star Trek. Uh, she's she's just consuming everything around her and then uh, <laughs> just making it, and, and making it her stronger. Yeah. I, certainly that's the impression I got when I heard her on Katie Wolf the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that they've got some issues. And, of course, you know, their chief of staff's gone. Um, Tim Dixon there who went to run for the Senate position for pre-selection. And so he had left. So I don't know what that did to in terms of their strategy. And so, like, you know, I've had questions about their strategy before anyway, and I don't think that that one person leaving would change that. I don't know. Anyway, some of it's still, I just don't know. I think Leah, Leah's pretty good and getting better, like you said, every time she gets pushed and stuff, she can come back with things, and she's she's good at that. But the CLP's whole strategy on a lot of things have been questionable here. Um, mm. Today they abandoned everything else and just focused on uh, crime again. and. Right that kind of be the thing. And then they, they actually got a censure motion up late this afternoon. We'll have that story up later tonight. Um, they finally got it. And, it, and it's funny. And they, the government files let it happen. And it was to, you know, chastise and rebuke Gunner for his failings in the, in the crime area and protecting territorians, which is a big thing. The CLP always want to talk about that, but I thought, why now, why are they letting them do this? And so they all got to give their speeches about how terrible the government is on, on crime issues. And I thought, you know, why? 
Oh yeah, because they don't have anything else. Like like labor was done by that point. It was like, oh, you might as well just do the censure on us this time. Because oh, we got nothing else. If not, if not, we're all out of here at three thirty this afternoon. Oh, it's right. sad. It has been sad all week in there. Right, right. All right. Well, let's leave that sorry saga behind uh, and finish off on uh, a story that you put up today, which is going to set the legal fraternity in the Northern Territory alight, I think. <laughs> I think um, it has. I think it has already, yeah. I have to declare, uh, at, at, well, I'm not sure if it's a conflict of interest, but certainly it's an interest. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's quite interesting because the two figures in this story uh, were both my lecturers at university, uh, Alastair Weivel QC, or SC, uh, sorry, Senior Council, a silk here in Darwin. He was the lecturer in torts, which was the first um, lecture that I attended at law school when I started law here in 1990. And the last subject that I did uh, for my law degree was civil procedure. And my lecturer for civil procedure was none other than Justice Stephen Southwood. So um, the, the, it's it's like bookends here that I'm talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, well these these guys aren't lightweights here in the in the local legal fraternity. So yeah, certainly making news when when these kind of things come up. So yeah, we're just wondering about everything. So of course, a lot of it relates to back in um, back last December when it was reported there was a, a ruling um, about the, and it all related to the Stella Maris, of course, famous incident with Labor leader Delia Laurie, and of course, Alistair Weivel and Kathy Spur had represented Delia during the um, the inquiry into that, <laughs> which had adverse findings against Delia Laurie. Delia Laurie then um, took John Lawler, who was the commissioner of that inquiry, to court, and that was before Justice Southwood. And Can you just explain what the Stella Maris inquiry was about, just for people that don't know? Yeah, so you guys know the building, and of course that that old decrepit building down on um, Wood Street? Street. It's just down from the NT News there, um, down towards the waterfront. If you're at the NT News, I don't know oh, okay. what street is that. Um, McMinn, right? Yeah, I think of it as the continuation yeah. of McMinn Street. Yeah, it's McMinn still, yeah. So there's this old building there, Stella Maris. It was the Union thing years ago, um, Star of the Sea. Um, so <laughs> anyway, on the way out, uh, 2011, 2012, uh, before the election, they, the Labor government gave uh, a peppercorn lease to Union's NT to use that facility. And the deal was, you know, I guess the criticism of that was, you know, they had to they had to take it and they had to, you know, take care of the building and everything, but they could use it rent free. And uh, and then the CLP came in and that that came out and the CLP thought, OK, we can we can score some points on this, about we're going to clean up labor corruption and stuff, really. And then that <laughs> government ended up going out with all these allegations around Uh-oh. it. And then we had another government come in saying, oh, we're going to clean up the CLP and restore integrity. And of course, they're going to go out and scandal. Yeah, Jesus, this is terrible. So can we just back up a little bit but, so that I can just yeah. 
uh, absorb this issue because honestly, I didn't follow any of this, uh, Chris. So there's this building, uh, a de- decrepit, rundown building you mentioned. That mm. was that occupied by U- Unions NT, is it or somebody? no? So it was just sitting there being unused, and the government couldn't find a way to do this. This back in 2012, how, how to utilize it? I guess properly. Right. So and the government owned the building. Yeah. What was in there before? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe back in the day there was connection to unions or something. Um, it's just there. I mean, you could set up a bar in it or something. I right? think it was. I um, think it was historically like a bar clubhouse yeah. type thing. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, but I think also one of the complications is, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure from reports at the time, it does have asbestos. So there's only so much you can do with it. Does it? I don't know. Like it, yeah. it, it doesn't even have any. I don't think it has any insulation at all. Like I've yeah, been okay. in there, and it's just got like you. You can see the cracks underneath. You can see through it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. I've yeah. just done a little search on it, right? Uh, and the there's three three buildings apparently there, uh, the Stella Mara site, and it is located on McMinn Street in Darwin. The yeah. oldest building was constructed in nineteen in the nineteen thirties by the Commonwealth Railways. Um, and yeah, I mean, looking at those pictures, it does look fairly run down. Mm. And then it says up and up upon the closure of the North Australia Railway in 1976, uh, many of the buildings were sold or demolished and the site was handed to the city of Darwin council by the Australian National Railways Commission. It was then leased to the Roman Catholic Stella Maris organization in 79, to operate as a licensed club. So I think you're right there, Pete. Uh, in 1995, the council recommended that Stella Maris Hostel be registered as a heritage site. Uh, the bid was unsuccessful. The site was renominated for a heritage listing in 03. It was accepted in 10 June 2004. At the rear of the site are two other buildings constructed in the 1990s. Neither is considered historically significant. The site, which is valued at about $3 million, was leased rent-free to unions in T by the Northern Territory Government on the 2nd of August 2012. Yeah, so that was when they went into caretaker mode. <laughs> right. So the COP came in and they realized, okay, this, this doesn't smell right. We're going to investigate this and we can score some political points here. So We're going to root out corruption. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what they did. And they set up this inquiry with this guy, John Lawler. Uh, Who's John Lawler? Well, he wasn't a judge. I mean, we have to get back into that other story, but this is a guy that the CLP selected. He was a, a former cop. I think he had the executive guys. officer of the Australian crime commission. Um, yeah, if that's what he was. So, Anyway, so they come up, they set up this inquiry, and they start looking into this public inquiry. Uh, so anyway, the findings are negative against Delia with Laurie, who's the labor leader at that time, the opposition leader, but she was treasurer at the time that this deal had gone through with the rent-free stuff for unions NT. So anyway, um, yeah, that 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 becomes an issue for Delia, and they use it, people in the party, and then Michael Gunner rolls her, and she and he becomes the leader and uh she then ends up taking legal action against lawler uh saying that she was denied procedural fairness and all of this so yeah so what happens now that's before southwood that case and so southwood makes a decision and he dismisses it against delia and says no um you know lawler's decision stands essentially um yeah uh 
so then what happens is uh is that uh, alistair weibel is then referred in kathy spur by uh the bar association to our law society nt uh over alleged misconduct allegations relating to a previous complaint that that the Weibel had made against Southwood. And at the time, they didn't think that that was appropriate. So anyway, he's, um, yeah, he's investigated uh, by the law or referred by the, for misconduct proceedings by Law Society NT. Now that goes on for five years. Then the disciplinary, the disciplinary, uh, what is it? The legal practitioner's disciplinary tribunal hands down its decision uh, about misconduct allegation against Weibel in December, 2020. and. Um, what they find is that 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 Weivel was right that he was he was he was okay to claim that uh, the Southwood ha- hadn't handled this decision properly, and in fact, they found that um, that it was the decision Southwood's decision to dismiss uh, Delia Laurie's claims that she had been denied procedural fairness was politically partisan. The, they found suggestive of malice. And which called into question his honor's fitness to be a judge. So this was in December. All this comes down. Um, so, so Alistair Weivel then on June 21st of this year sends a letter to the attorney general, Selena Yubo, um, with other allegations against Southwood. Um, and, you know, claiming or, or calling for an independent investigation for somebody from interstate to come in with the necessary experience to investigate independently allegations against Southwood, including from this tribunal decision and some other things and um, and determine whether or not he's fit to uh, to continue on as a judge. So, yeah. So now what what where you both gone with this, the attorney general, is that she's talking about setting up a. Uh, judicial commission, she's calling it, to oversee this stuff. I, I don't know where she came <laughs> up with this thing. Like, so, like, I can't cause enough of a hot potato. We'll now have a judicial commission. Yeah, and in fact, <laughs> yeah, like the ICAC can investigate this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I find that really weird. But anyway, so so now that the issue is this: that Will Weibel's complaint, that you know about about misconduct allegations against uh, Southwood, will that? Is that going to go to this judicial commission? It looks like it will now, but there are questions raised about who's going to be on this. Now, one of the releases that uh, Selena Yubo had put out uh, mentioned that Chief Justice Michael Grant would be on it. The, the, the rumors in the legal fraternity is, of course, he would chair being the Chief Justice. Um, now, that's, that's a bit of an issue because everybody also knows that, uh, that Southwood and, uh, and Grant are pretty close. Uh, and in fact, you know, that's brought up in the letter to the, uh, to the attorney general that they, that they are friends. Um, the board, the commission here would also have other local legal figures. Is, some that, of letter, which, by, is that letter public, by the way, Chris? Uh, not sure about that. Man, I'll find out. Okay. Yeah. Um, now there were some other local legal figures on there, uh, some of which have I think I think it would be some of which have perceived conflicts of interest, including the Law Society NT, which we now know, and this has gone around town for I think a month or two, a couple of months, that they actually had to pay Weivel five hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year for his legal costs associated with its failed misconduct proceedings against him. So this is uh, this process that's gone on for over five years was finally resolved last December. Yeah, they had to go into the into the fidelity fund 
to pay $550,000 to Alistair Weibel for, for putting them through what they did for five years. And, and, you know, and he, he talks about damage to reputation, et cetera. Um, is that cost, Chris, or is that like pain and suffering type thing? Yeah, no, well, that, that was, cost, that's his legal cost. cost yeah. Wow. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know what he did have to, I mean, for some reason they said that it's still never been explained why that took five years. Like the law society yeah. referred him for proceedings. Why did that take five years? That should have mm. been done way before. And then, um, anyway, so that's kind of where we are now. This complaint is, uh, as we understand it, will go, uh, to this judicial commission whenever it gets set up. I mean, it's still like, I guess they're saying October we're hearing now it'll be set up. So I guess, yeah, why not? Mm. Justice delayed, eh? Or whatever. Um, Justice delayed. Justice delayed is justice denied. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking. So um, anyway, yeah, this is this is going to be problematic. I think the whole thing, and it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm I'm worried about like what is actually going to come out. You set up this commission that has conflicts of interest. Um, Yeah. yeah. How do the people have any faith in this, and how do lawyers in town have any faith in this? Right, Chris. I mean, look what happened with ICAC. You know what I mean? Uh, how, you know, we discussed conflicts of interest and things like that in relation to that body, which uh, has a, a far bigger pool, I guess, of, uh, of issues to deal with. Here, a judicial commission is being set up where the pond is so small. Yeah. I mean, we started the story by me telling you that I knew the two people that were involved. Yeah, in yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just impossible I, to, to find any kind of um, a perception of bias because everybody knows everybody in the legal fraternity. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, do, do you use some interstate one? Um, remember with this uh, tribunal, this disciplinary tribunal that, uh, that that found in favor of of Weivel and against Southwood, that that was a, a retired Tasmanian judge, a judge from Tasmania who chaired mm-hmm. that, um, and that's what you know. That's what Weivel's asking for in this instance is that uh, somebody from outside come in and, and yeah. review the evidence. Just because he said, like, and you just said, he said, because of the small size of the local legal community, it's not possible to obtain that independent advice here. No. So what do we do about that? Um, but I want to ask you something here because uh, just, and I'm just reading from that article that uh, about Stella Maris, um, I didn't realise this, Attorney General John Elfrink, uh, mm-hmm. referred Do- uh, Delia Laurie to the Northern Territory Police for investigation of possible breaches of criminal law. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Delia Laurie then launched a second appeal, this time into Justice Southwood's decision. Mm-hmm. In 2016, Justices John Doyle and Kevin Duggan from South Australia and Justice Eric Heenan from Western Australia upheld the decision of Justice Southwood that Mr. Lawler had conducted the inquiry in a manner that was fair to Laurie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Stephen Southwood's uh, decision was actually upheld by uh, a court of appeal. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then, but then you've got this other issue with yeah, the, with the with um, Weibel being referred for complaining about him essentially mm. after the fact and uh, and that tribunal finding what they found. So. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I guess we'll see with this judicial commission. I just, you know, I think this kind of stuff, like I'm not afraid of reporting this kind of stuff because I think it is in the public's interest to know. Um, I mean, it is without any argument. Of course it is. You're talking about a Supreme Court justice here and you're talking about very high profile uh, mm-hmm. barrister in town. So when there's going to be issues like this, we don't have any issue reporting. And I think that we do have to do it. I know everyone gets scared around judges and you can't criticize the judiciary and everything. I, you know, um, I still think when it's in the public interest, these things have to be reported on and they have to re- be reported openly and for everybody to read about. And, you know, and that being said, you got to go to the person that the allegations are being made against and say to them, you know, what, what's your response to this? Mm. Um, you did that though, did you? We did, yeah. We we I'm I'm not sure if the NT News put any of the allegations to him. We did, yeah. and we offered a deadline extension. You know, it got weird there, right? About so so the NT News did a good like kind of promo piece, I guess, for us because they ran a story saying, "Oh, uh, you know, there, there's there's this complaint, there are these allegations, but we can't we can't, you know, because of of, of journalistic principles, we cannot report." on what those allegations are because Justice Justice Southwood has not read the complaint. Yeah, I had to do a double double take when I read that, Chris. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And so so yeah, so they, they they told him about it in late June, which I'm sure, you know, the the attorney general or someone in her office would have made him aware on June twenty first. Mm-hmm. But around June 29th they tell him and then they go back a month later and he says, now nah, he still hadn't read it something and uh and so they're like oh so now they're gonna they ran a story this week on tuesday i think it was saying um you know because of journalistic principles um because he didn't read the complaint so i've written here in the editor's note to our story there are no such journalistic principles (laughs) that suggest information in the public interest be withheld from the public because the subject of a formal complaint does not want to acknowledge the allegations that's, that's not how it works. So the NT News claimed to made Justice Southwood aware of the complaint in late June. The NT Independent put the direct allegations to Justice Southwood's office yesterday with an offer of a deadline extension should he wish to respond. Instead, we received a response from the spokesman quoted above. And we point out again, the allegations have not been proven. And we point that out in the story. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the statement from the... Um, from the quote-unquote spokesman is it would be inappropriate for justice justice southwood or any other member of the supreme court to make comment in relation to the matter and maybe leon can explain that uh if mr wyville believes he has a grievance then like any other member of the community he's entitled to raise his grievances with the attorney general uh so yeah apparently i can't help but thinking um that a lot of pain. I'm I'm drawing on my uh, in-depth legal background here, by the way, which I don't have. Uh, but I can't help but thinking that a lot of pain and suffering and angst and court cases and accusations and co-accusations could have been avoided if uh, unions NT weren't the recipient of this lease if it was anybody else like the scouts or any <laughs> yeah, other group if you if you work it back all, all the groups come out of that 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 uh, what, what do you call peppercorn lease yeah yeah, yeah which essentially is a, a lease at no no cost yeah, yeah. just it it feels like if that hadn't happened if that 
We would never have heard of Stella Maris building. And if it hadn't have gone specifically to them, everybody else's <laughs> problems would now yeah. not exist. Well, yeah, you and, bring and this that is up really, with the, yeah. yeah, and this is really the problem with our politics, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, instead of focusing on things that are far more important, um, each party, when they get their turn at the wheel, or as Chris likes to say, in the white cars, mm -hmm. um, they they want to look at the first possible opportunity to try and bag the other side for something yeah. that they did. Mm. And it's not just Labor here in the Territory. It's also we see it at the federal level with the with the Liberal Party, you know, and, and trying to undo um, things that Labor have done that are petty, that, uh, you know, I'm, look, I mean, I, I'm not saying that what happened with Stella Maris was, was a good idea. I mean... It's, it's <laughs> I don't know. I, honestly, I don't have a have a strong opinion on it uh, one way or the other. But I just think it's just such a waste of taxpayers' money yeah. and time. Mm. Yeah, mm. You, you know, we want to see what you know. What we want to see is okay. What are we doing about the size of the public service? What are we doing about paying down our eight point seven billion dollars worth of debt? Mm. Uh, and and how are we? You know, how are we growing the economy? Mm. That's what mm. we want to or, see. Those are the solving big issues. The, high, the health crisis at the hospital. Yeah. Um, but of course, like, you know, when, when we get into these issues of integrity and stuff, though, in government, you know, I, I'm just thinking when we got corruption, I mean, that, that stuff becomes quite important too. And that's the stuff that I needs to be addressed. Agree. But this is like why we're in this issue that we are in the state that we are now with this whole grandstand thing is that the government hasn't addressed it appropriately. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like they, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, th this it. is an ICAC investigation. Hmm. Um, talking of which, Chris, why, I mean, it is the public perception out there that ICAC has handed down a number of reports and there have been no um, prosecutions. Yeah. Nothing has come out of that. What's... You know, what are we to make of this? Because it does seem like ICAC is pumping things out, but nothing really happens. Yeah, I think that we all need to be given an explanation about that um, and why there is and why, why, why wasn't Dixon referred to the police as it said that they would do to, you know, the police commissioner be reviewed under the Associations Act or to the DPP for possible charges. And even then with Kiza Bjork, same thing, that she was to be referred to DPP. And it seems these lawsuits that, that these people then file somehow gums that up. I don't know. Like, I, I think that's all part going back to the ICAC Act review that Gunner's undertaken and why this needs to be public, that we, you know, need to know what the terms of reference are. And was there something wrong with that act? that has led to this, that these charges aren't being able to go through after they're being recommended. I, I don't know exactly, but um, I think that the public needs to have faith in that idea that the, if the ICAC comes out and finds something, that there will be repercussions, that it's not just an Auditor General's report, even though there should be repercussions for the Auditor General's report too, but there just never is. Does the ICAC become something like that? And 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 that's really up to the leadership of government in a lot of ways too, though. You would think that the, the chief minister would want to clean things up straight away once you know, improper conduct and corruption is found that he takes proper action, um, you know, and then the misconduct from 
you know, a senior public servant here who's still in the role and is still doing things and is now fixing the, uh, bringing in the reforms to the processes that he was involved with and manipulating to get the grant approved. Like that, that's, that doesn't instill confidence in people. And, you know, you look at, you look at, you know, the NT news might say that the people don't care about corruption sometimes too, but there's a reason that we've been talking about trying to attract private investment here for so long. And we never seem able to do that. And it's because, of this it's because that stink of corruption just continues to linger over the nt at least for national and international business who would say why would we go there and it's a corrupt little jurisdiction it's just not worth our time getting mixed up with this stuff and you know that's why the business community uh pushed so hard for gunner to bring in the icac in the first place because they want that private investment coming here and the jobs so the, you know the guy the gunner government goes on about jobs 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 well we're losing them every every time corruption isn't addressed here when it's when it's made public when it's shown that the, the misconduct happened and nothing happens to these people that, that's the wrong message to be sending that we're open for business here that's saying hey we cover up corruption in this town show up here i don't know what kind of maybe some businesses might show up i don't think they'd be the type of businesses that would be creating a, lot, a big numbers of jobs for people um yeah i just I think that all of that, uh, that if we're looking at the ICAC Act and we're looking at, at whatever needs to be done there, and then this needs to be public so that everybody gets this, everybody's on the same page. Okay, if you're found, you know, this, that you get your say, you know, and if it has to go to a trial, it goes to a trial and we do it through a proper judicial process. But, but, but there needs to be consequences. And if they need to be forced by someone else because the leader of government here is, is, just won't do it. Well, then I don't know what the solution is, but let's find a way to do that because he's not. And that's how he's letting down every Territorian. Every time he looks the other way on corruption is we're getting let down and we're not getting the private investment or the jobs. Our economy's losing. Yeah. Well, mate, uh, what have we got to look forward to next week? Uh, can you give us any teasers? More corruption. Um, <laughs> we'll see how far we get with that one, but... Um, no, really, there, there's there's some big stuff coming up next week. And, uh, yeah, I was hoping to get one up today. Should be a good one up tomorrow, Friday, so or on the weekend. Um, and then Monday, Tuesday, we got some really big stuff coming. I was going to say, or yesterday when you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Righto. Thanks, Chris, as always, mate. It's been fun. All right. Thanks, guys. See you. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. Weekends with Walshy back again next week. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.